Well, good morning, afternoon, evening, or ass crack of dawn to you race fans, and welcome back to Roland Race News, episode number six. We're sitting out here in the billiard room, hanging out, having a good time, joined in studio tonight by a fresh 21-year-old, uh, turned 21 last Monday, a guy that's really done a lot in a short career, Stefan Oaks, your 2020 Rookie of the Year in the Sport Mod division. Stefan, thanks so much for joining me. Um, we'll just kind of dive right into it and get rolling let us know how you got your start i talked to your brother a couple weeks ago and i know that your dad raced the flyer cars and modifieds out at eagle kind of back in the day i know that um your friday night flyer stuff was probably a little bit of a blur being so young but let us know a little bit about your dad racing modifieds or maybe just some of your earliest memories of the racetrack yeah, um, my dad did race when we were younger. Uh, I remember when he raced modifieds mainly. I was always around the track hanging out with people, um, watching him race. And obviously I always kind of had a passion for racing, and I liked it. Um, I always wanted to do it, but I really didn't get the opportunity till, uh I got with Sarah. Um, and basically she talked to her dad, and her dad ended up putting me in a car. Um, I really got to thank them for that. Um, so obviously talking about the Cronin family, they've kind of been a big sta staple in the sport compact racing scene. Um, I know you kind of dated for a little while back in high school or whatever, and that's kind of what got your start going. Did you just jump right into driving a car or was there some crew help or how did that whole thing kind of phase out? Because I know in racing, you know, it's always a family ordeal. But it's also always a dollar figure. Kind of what did it take to earn their trust and, you know, trust in your reputation to work on cars and make things go quick to be able to give you that opportunity to get started in racing? Well, pretty much. Uh, I always had a good idea of how to put together old cars because that's pretty much all I worked on were old muscle cars with my grandpa or my dad. And, you know, I wanted something new and I was just happened to be talking to uh, her mom and explained everything to her and she kind of talked to Larry as well and uh, they started letting me work on their cars you know I just took it one step at a time and ended up learning that it's really not as hard as you think it is and you know I just kept moving forward coming up with new ideas thinking of what I could do to get faster and make me a better driver overall and uh, like, like I said they just they ended up throwing me in a car uh and that car lasted me probably a year and a half, and I ended up, they gave me a new one after that, and I landed top four about four nights in a row after that I got that new car. Um, they, they, they've really done a lot for me. I wouldn't be where I'm at in racing if it wasn't for them, even though it really didn't work out the greatest in the end, but, you know, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be where I'm at. Absolutely. You know, a, a big family and friend atmosphere and People really come from all walks of life to get into racing. Um, a couple earlier podcasts, you guys probably heard me talking with Tommy Denton about how we have so many different people from so many different walks of life. Back in the day when your dad was racing modifieds, we had uh, heart surgeon Ed Rains driving cars. You know, you've got people that work in junkyards. You've got heart surgeons, lawyers, doctors. We really combine a lot of stuff together to make this big racing family that we have. And it's, you know, it's just incredible to me to see how many different people can come together. So you're a little bit more into the technical side of things and figuring out how to make cars work and stuff. How would you compare, you know, your first couple nights 
in a car compared to your first couple nights when you jumped into a new car that maybe had a little bit more horsepower or had a little bit more oomph just off the line? Uh, well, basically coming from compacts, the first compact I had, uh, just, it was never right. Once I finally got the new car and every car after that, they pretty much handled the same. I had the same setup on it. I never really changed a whole lot, uh, except tire pressure. Once I found the setup, I pretty much just kept it and I focused on being the best driver I could be. Um, not so much on the car, you know, I maintained it. I kept care of it, you know, changed plugs, oil, whatever. Just made sure that everything was good. Bolt checked it. Um, when I moved to a modified, everything's kind of different because you, you know, you got to learn what you all you got to check every night and what all is going to break and what all could bend. And, you know, you got to worry about your shocks, shafts bending. You got to get them dynoed. You got to worry about your springs wearing out because even though your springs might test the same spring rate, uh, the rebound rate can change. Um, like all your bar angles matter. It's just it's a whole different ball game, and basically all all I'm trying to do is learn again. I never touched a setup all year at Eagle um, until I went to Columbus and I started messing around with stuff. I let my dad pretty much set it up for me, and uh, we've been going from there. We're making progress. Cars getting faster. We're getting more forward bite out of it. So hopefully we can keep rolling on to next year. Kind of shifting back into the sport compact stuff, you really had a pretty acclaimed career. I had a lot of success in that class. Tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of the things that you've won and done in that class that kind of, you know, pushed you to move up because, I mean, nobody wants to stay in the same class forever. Yeah, my my first year, or first year I didn't win anything. And I think it was my second year. Um, I actually, I got my first win um in my red car and uh that was a pretty emotional one uh after that i pretty i was running larry's car all year out of the i80 i gotta thank him for that um larry schultz and larry cronin for letting me run that car um i ended up winning in that a couple times and i picked up the championship that year um unfortunately the way things went we ended up break breaking apart and i i did my own thing built my own cars Ended up going out there and getting championship again. Had, I think, nine wins that year, four year, four the year before. I don't know, around 13 or 14 wins total. Um, like I said, I can't complain about the year I had. I had some good luck, some bad luck, but that's just how racing goes. Yeah, absolutely. It's always an up and down turn for the worst or turn for the better. But, I mean, 13 wins in a year and nine wins in another, two championships is totally impressive just kind of going in you're you're not really a guy that sticks around to one track you've definitely spread yourself around racing in the nebraska area and i understand that you've been to kansas a little bit kind of just let us know a little bit about going from one track to another i mean sport compacts obviously with the type of rules package that they have you've got to keep your engines and stuff kind of on an even keel there's not a lot of modification allowed and it's really all in the setup and carrying momentum around the place how would you compare like an eagle to a beatrice or i80 you know three different tracks three different sizes what does it take to be competitive everywhere you roll into uh really what i notice the most about when i go to different tracks is you really just got to pay attention to track conditions and what the track's going to do at the end of the night because uh 
you know, you look at a track and you think it might be dry slick, but it ends up getting rubbered. And when it gets rubbered, it gets fast. And, you know, you could completely miss your setup because you think it's slick, but it's really not. So in the end, I feel like going to different tracks and racing different tracks will help you be better at the track, you know, your home track where you race all the time. Because, you know, you get experience somewhere else, you feel the car a different way, you know what it's going to do. Um, different banking, you know, different track conditions, different dirt. I mean, there's just so many different things that play into it when you go to different tracks that I feel like it gives you a lot more experience and a lot more confidence going into the next night. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just talking about track conditions, you roll into a place like Columbus, whether you're in a compact or a sport mod, that's a whole different, not configuration, but the dirt there is so much different from an Eagle or a Beatrice I-80. I feel like in the time that I spent down there, there seems to be a lot of sand in US-30, and really I, I think that helps a lot because US-30 is always putting on a good show over there in Columbus. And then you get over to I-80, the dirt's a little bit blacker. It seems to hold a lot of moisture a little bit longer. Just coming from my standpoint, and granted it's been six seven years since i've stepped foot in any kind of race car kind of step back from that but you go and switch it up a little bit run these different tracks and manage to find success everywhere you go so kind of we covered your sport compact career moving into this year kind of what made you decide to make the move to a sport mod in comparison to like a hobby stock or going somewhere else uh, really, I wanted to go to a stock car because, one, I like to rub, and, you know, I, I swear rubbing's racing. I like hard racing. It's always the best Absolutely. to put on the shows. Um, but I just I got too good of a deal on the sport mod that I, I just couldn't pass it up. You know, it's old. It's, it's starting to wear down. It's cracking, but I plan on going over it this winter and redoing pretty much everything on it. So hopefully I come back next year. Everything will be new and re-welded and redone so hopefully i come back a little stronger what was your engine package like um i, I know your brother's a big fan of the open motors um kind of what did you do this year and maybe what are your plans for next year uh you know i pretty much i'm gonna stick with the crate uh i feel like that's pretty much the best bang for your buck in the end unless you got somebody that can build you a hell of an open motor like armstrong um Really, you can build an open motor, but in the end, I feel like you just you get more nights out of a crate, and the power's a little smoother getting in the throttle, um, and it's it's just more reliable. As long as you keep up on maintenance, change the oil, change your valve springs every you know five six nights, just make sure everything is set, and you you usually get away with a crate. You know, you'll be fine. You can compete. Just check your plugs. Make sure all your plugs are good. Make sure no headers are smashed. Because um, all that affects you in a crate because crates don't have as much power as an open motor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with the crates, you know, everything has a positive and a negative. That's kind of been a trend on these last couple weeks' podcast is just talking about how every positive does have a negative. So you go and run these crate motors. They last you a super long time. Everything that I've heard from every engine builder I talk to, I don't know if maybe they all know each other or what the deal is, but it sounds like when it comes to an open motor, you have three components. Do you want it to be fast? Do you want it to last? Or do you want it to be affordable? 
because you can't have all three. Well, I, I think you could have all three, but in the end, what you'd spend on that is going to be about the same price as a crate. And and then the crate power band is you just you just can't beat the crate power band. It's it's so much smoother than an open motor would be because that throttle response is a little bit. It's not quite as fast, so it'll almost make you roll into the throttle a little bit more. And it's not so snappy to where you're just, you know, jerking around the car and breaking that contact patch and you lose traction throughout the corner. Kind of just a little bit of a smoother operation in the corner makes you be a little bit more tender on the throttle. It teaches you a lot of throttle control. Am I somewhere in the ballpark on that? Yeah, and another thing about the sport mod is is you got to learn that the car will not turn if you're not in the gas because you got to be up on the bars. So you'll go into a corner and you'll be pushing, and of course, you know, your first thing is like to hit the brakes to try to slide, but in reality, you can hit the gas and it'll turn that car almost instantly. Break that rear end loose, you know, that kind of brings me back to something that we were talking about off microphone with your sport mod being so different from a sport compact. I know that it's, you know, a lot of people will say that it's only the comparison of front wheel drive versus rear wheel drive, but... Kind of run us through your learning curve on that. What were the first things that you noticed were different when you jumped from the four-cylinder to the V8 rear-wheel drive? Well, to be honest, when I when I first topped in that sport mod, uh, I I just I let it rip. I didn't hold back at all. Um, I kind of I had a feel for what the car was going to do. I, I I've watched them a lot and how they set up and kind of if you pay enough attention you can see where the drivers are using their brake and where they're kind of getting back in the throttle if you listen and watch close enough so you can get an idea for how they handle just by literally being there and watching them and what they're doing Um, and then you get in the car and then you start to get a real feel for the pedals and what they're doing and you know after that it's just kind of on you yeah i was talking with your brother a couple weeks ago about kind of his transition from drag racing into the dirt track side of things and you guys really honestly have kind of a similar comparison not that a drag car is anything like a sport mod or a sport compact you know you just have there's so many different variables that you have to learn and some of it's small changes some of it is major massive changes so rolling through this year, I know you ran Eagle on a weekly basis, hit Beatrice a couple times in Columbus, I-80. Kind of, what was your favorite track to get into and why? Um, To be honest, my favorite track to run would have probably been Eagle, even though I ran it all year. But it's just because I, I knew I could always be competitive there. It was just pretty much was luck on my side or not. You know, I never changed anything with the car, so I could couldn't really be bad i ran the same shocks all year uh i had them rebuilt maybe a couple times never changed springs in it uh like i said all i've adjusted is trailer or the tire pressures on it so i really i never got better or worse it was just on me driving and that's the way i wanted it to be for my first year so i wasn't trying to i didn't want to have to fight the car because i got the setup wrong i just wanted to learn how to drive it and then mess with the setup so i could figure it out later on yeah that's that's kind of the ideal way to get into racing i've always been taught i remember reading in some stock car magazine years ago back when we still read magazines on paper that 
if you're looking to get into racing and get started, it's best to go and buy a race-ready car. I know you had help with the Cronins and the compact days, but you went and bought your car race-ready, and we're just ready to roll it off. And it sounds like you really had a lot of good success just off of a basic setup and a, a decent car. And it's always great to jump into things like that, just uh, the, the way of the road. Well, the first car I had actually wasn't that great. Uh, me and Larry tried something, and obviously I, I didn't know because I'd never driven a race car before, but it ended up making it handle Remember, by bad. IMCA rules, they're not race cars. They're cars yeah. that race. Yeah, and I agree with that in some ways, but some ways I don't because – I took the compact seriously, you know, I, I maintenanced it very well and, you know, it takes a driver to win a race. You do not win unless you can drive and you got to kind of have that mentality. Hey, I'm, I'm here to win. You know, I'm not here to finish second or third and I'm not trying to sound cocky when I say that. It's just, it's a mentality you got to have. If you want to go to a racetrack and win, you're not there to finish in second. You're there to win. Absolutely, and I think that that's kind of everybody's goal when you roll through a racetrack. Nobody's coming here to run last, and everybody knows, or not everybody, but some people know when they roll through the gate that they might not be a contender to be that feature winner at the end of a feature time. But it's all the matter of, you know, nobody comes out here to run last or run seventh or whatever the case may be. You always want to be the best that you can be. No matter what track you roll into, you just want to go there and prove something. But kind of shifting back, you talked a little bit about keeping maintenance up on your compact car back in the day. How would you compare the difference in maintenance to a compact as maintenance to a sport modified? Um, the main thing I notice is tires. Uh, I do a lot of tire work, and I'm, I end up spending like at least an hour, two hours just doing tires for one for one weekend. I mean... Just one night at Eagle, I end up spending about at least an hour and a half, two hours on tires alone. Um, and, you know, I've been learning more and more of stuff to check over time because bolts will start to come loose on you because, you know, you're at like five to 6,000 RPM the whole race. Everything's vibrating pretty bad. You got ruts in the track. So um, really just bolt checking literally everything you can bolt check and tire work. And then, obviously, with the crate motor, you don't really got to tear it apart. So you just always check your valves, you, you know, check your spark plugs, make sure you ain't got nothing fouled, um, change your oil. Uh, other than that, I mean, changing valve springs is really all you can do with the crate. Yeah, from the outside looking in, kind of give us a little bit of insight for the grandstand racer. With the crate motor, obviously, you have tight seals from imca so that that's really pretty much all that you can do is run your valves and check your spark plugs to make sure that things are running right um, a couple years ago i was at a meeting for beatrice speedway and there was an imca representative there and he had said that the only thing that we can't really tell you when you go to buy a brand new crate from whoever you get it from is what color that's going to show up in inside that crate and how long it's going to last. Yeah, and I, I'd agree with that because you got to realize every every motor is usually hand put together. So, I mean, whoever put that motor together, if they missed one thing on it, I mean, you could pretty much blow it up in one night. That's one thing that the robots haven't gotten to yet. We're still got fine American motor builders. Yep, yep. 
the guys at Speedway do a good job. I know Friesen and all them guys, they do a good job. Um, I just hear them winning with the crates all the time. Uh, my crate, it's like from the guy I bought it from said it was an 06. Um, has quite a few nights on it, but it, it's still running strong. I mean, I, it's to the point where I, I almost don't need more power. You know, I just need more forward bite when the track slicks off for that a future. It comes down to, I need more traction. I don't need more power. Absolutely. And you know, rolling through 2020 for a rookie season, I know you stuck to Eagle mostly for your points, ended up picking up the rookie of the year out there, but you, you ran a lot of different racetracks this year. So going into 2020, do you have any different plans? What what kind of things are in store for the 17 Sport Mod? Uh, you know, I I haven't really made up my mind yet. I kept thinking about tossing the idea of getting rid of the car and getting a stock car since they brought them out to Eagle, but I, I just can't convince myself to get away from it since I, you know, I bought this car and I'm starting to really figure it out. It's kind of hard to get away from. It's a hard decision to make, but I think I'm just going to stay with it try some new stuff coming into next year, maybe run a few more tracks, uh, see what I can do. Kind of like you were saying, um, with just the adjustment and everything, my uncle raced cars for a long time, and it always seemed like the first three, four, five weeks, you're getting used to a new car and adjusting to it compared to your old one. Of course, you made the jump from compacts into the sport mods, so you had that whole learning curve going from front-wheel drive to rear-wheel drive, and now you, you know, you're kind of starting to figure your car out, so I can definitely admire staying in the sport mod class. Kind of um, going a little off-topic, but not too much. How do you feel about Eagle dropping the sport compacts for the stock cars? You know, you were kind of there towards the end of the heyday when they were getting... 20 30 40 cars a week and then you know obviously you moved over to the sport mod this year as car counts really started to dwindle what do you think is going to go on with that do you think there will be a lot of people moving up or moving out uh i already know a lot of people are starting to move up now which is probably a good thing because a lot of people have been in compacts too long um you know i get it's it's really expensive to move up i've spent probably like five times the money I would have been a compact by now. Um, but really, uh, I, th I think it's a good move. Uh, the main reason I moved out of a compact was because of the drama they had at Eagle with them. And it's just, it gets annoying when you got a class that, you know, it's the lowest of the classes, but it has the most drama and it, it just, it's that class should be more for fun and, you know, I took it seriously, so some people didn't, and shit just went south. <laughs> you know, um, I can't remember who said it. It was somebody on one of those streaming sites, but half the horsepower, twice the drama. Yeah. The IMCA Sport Compacts, and some sometimes that just is the way that it goes, because with compacts, like you say, there are some people that have just stayed in it too long. I don't know if you were around too much for kind of the beginning back in the day Ranty. when you could just put a cage in a street car and go out and race. And then people started figuring out how to set them up. And then people started to figure out how to cheat them up. And it's just, it's turned into some incredible racing compared to the beginning. But, you know, you also have a lot more money being spent. And I, you know, just me personally, I feel like that could be implemented into the next class up because 
you know, talking about the difference between front wheel drive and rear wheel drive, you know, just the difference between it. I feel like if these people are willing to put four, five, six grand into a sport compact to go out and win all the, all the time, I understand that's the objective, but you could put six grand into a sport mod and have a pretty competitive car and be able to, you know, transfer that knowledge or instead of going into the sport compact, maybe just save a little bit longer and dive into a bigger class like that. See, and you know, that's the thing. You might drop the more money to get the, the sport mod, but the, the maintenance on it is the most expensive thing because you, I mean, buying tires every couple of weeks, I mean, you're dropping at least 600 on just four tires for your week and those are only going to last you know two nights some people only run one nights on them and they get rid of them it's i mean when i got that second place out of deagle those tires had probably five nights on them i just i made sure i worked them every time i took care of them kept them clean i ran beatrice literally the the night before i think i finished 11th and came to eagle and just managed to have a good race led part of it and got passed with a couple laps to go um but, I think a caution played a factor in that one. Yeah, it did, but I, I'm not going to complain uh, coming in as a rookie and just being able to compete and keep up with guys that have been racing for a long time. Like I said, I couldn't, I couldn't ask for more. You know, I'm, I hold high expectations for myself, but, you know, at some point you got to tell yourself, hey, you know, calm down like you did a good job and move on, just try to get better. Yeah, absolutely. There's... A huge thing, something that I always stressed and never really achieved, but when you go to the racetrack, you should always have a goal. And just sitting here talking to you, I kind of assumed that you had a similar situation when you got started. You know, I want to go out there and turn laps and not say such and such number, hold a line, or such and such this, spinning out, you know, causing those Lone Ranger rules. It's definitely important to get out there and just kind of dive into it and try to fall into your zone. And it, it looks like you've done that. You've had a pretty impressive career for a young guy. Yeah, and see, I've I've been that guy a couple times to where I've spun out or, you know, I may have hit a tractor tire or two. But that's just you, you got to find your limits in the car, and that's kind of how you find them is you got, you got to push the limit to find it. And then once you find that limit, you just got to learn how to ride the limit to be as fast as you can possibly be you know in in order to find the wall you got to hit it so in order to find the wall you got to hit it that's a great point uh, again that's something that i talked with your brother about um one race i guess he had came off corner four a little bit hot and a couple folks had warned him that that turn four wall at eagle it sneaks up on you and it, it definitely has its own little vortex and sucks you in have you had any mishaps like that i guess I guess what I'm asking, just for a point of humility, a little bit of laughter, what would you say is your biggest just kind of rookie mistake, even not being a rookie? Uh, probably when I was leading that C future by about a straightaway, half straightaway, and I spun out on the last lap. <laughs> that that was probably the worst because I I just I drove it in too hard, got nervous on that last lap, and I I just I looped it. I bet I had a lap car that I passed and I ended up going high in turn three and four and I got a big run coming out of four and I just tried to go low and I came in too hot didn't slow it down enough and looped it but see when stuff like that happens you kind of learn from your mistakes and you know hey 
if I do that again, you know, slower down before you come in because you're coming in about five mile, five mile per hour more than you would be if you were just running the bottom. One of the greatest things that I was ever told is no matter what you're doing, whether it's on a racetrack or a football field, whatever the case may be, you either win or you learn. And that's just the way that she goes. And, you know, now that you talk about that, I can kind of remember that night and just seeing you bomb it in a little bit hard. Yep. Yeah, it's just, it was unfortunate. Um, But like I said, you got got to live and learn. And you got to learn from all your mistakes that you make. And you can't make them twice. That's my biggest thing is you can't make the same mistake twice because that will cost you in the end. I learned that in a compact and... You know, now that I'm driving the sport mod a lot more, unfortunately we didn't get a race as quite as much as I expected to. But, um, like I said, yeah, I'm finding my limits still. You know, I raced the new track out at Columbus, kind of found some more limits there, found my limit at Beatrice when I smacked the wall. But the car was fast. It's just, you know, mistakes happened. I lost a spring that last night. car was really fast, though, but... You know, now that's another thing I got to check every night is I got to make sure that spring is going to be in there at the end of the night. Yeah, you just continuously learn. It's it's always a learning curve. The technology in race cars, it's wild how much it advances. They say that if you buy a new computer straight off the Best Buy showroom floor, in six months it's going to be out of date. And, you know, it's it's almost like racing keeps up with that tendency to continue to move up everybody's always learning something new and it's important to stay on the sharp edge of that learning curve because you know the things do change not daily but they change pretty frequently and you seem to have done a really good job adjusting to the different things that you've done and rolling into a different track that obviously has to come with a bit of a, cr- a pit crew and some people that help out. So who are maybe some sponsors and support, and who helps you out just week in and week out? Oh, uh, if it wasn't for my dad, I probably wouldn't have anything I have, really. Uh, he gets me to the track every week. He helps me with any work I need done. Um, literally, I mean, anything and everything I could ask for, my dad would do for me. And uh, without him, none of my racing would be possible. Um, i got to thank Josh. He's always there helping me, tires, whatever I need done. I mean, he'll, he'll be there. He'll get tools. I mean, he he does a lot of the bitch work, but he doesn't complain about it, and he gets the shit done. So um, Drew, he, he helped out a lot this year, uh, helped me with some tires, some money, air filters, you know, stuff like that. Um, he also helped work on the car whenever we needed something, needed a tool, he'd be there to grab it. Uh, Dustin, he pulled me out once this year and he was always there helping me or my brother out. Um, you know, I got to thank my brother. He let me use his shocks the rest of the year after he ended up blowing up his for the second time. Um, you know, me and him might be competitive against each other, but we're, we're there for each other when the time comes. So really, um, my whole family, you know, my mom, my grandma, my grandpa, too. My grandpa is always there to help. If I ever needed anything, he'd drop everything he had to help me. Um, like I said, my whole racing career, they, they've pretty much been there for me the whole time, even when I was in a compact supporting me. So, uh, like I said, without all them people, I, it, it just wouldn't be possible. I talked how I started. Um, like I said, even though it didn't end very well, I still got to thank them for everything they did. Um, 
you know, I got to thank you for getting me on this podcast, helping me out. I pretty much did it this year with no sponsors. Um, all out of my own pocket is, it is a lot of money got spent, but it was a fun year and it was worth it. So that's what it all boils down to is just being worth it to come out and learn and grow and really adapt because it is a huge change going from the compact to the modified and really having as much success as you did because you ran really well for a rookie. A a lot of people have came out of that sport compact class and went on to, you know, on this, on the scale spectrum of when you think of, you know, a lot of people thought of compacts as a time to go get beer at the concession stand or to go and use the restroom. A joke of a class pretty much. Yeah. And you know, I've owned compacts, I've driven compacts, and it's like they, they've always been more than that to me. So it's it's always cool to see the advancement of that class over the years. It's really turned into something great, and I think they're on to even a bigger and better, brighter future, even with Eagle getting out of it. I mean, you've got other tracks. You can go race at Beatrice or I-80 on Friday. You can go race at Fairbury on Saturday. We've got plenty of places to go and race these cars around the state and Eagles just kind of opening the door to try something new. That's always been something that Rogers had at the top of his head is to bring in stock cars. in. I, I've, I've told them before personally, even when I ran compacts that he should be bringing stock cars in. I mean, last race they had there, uh, I think it was like the icebreaker, um, 2019. One of the best races I've ever seen was the stock cars that night when Stutzman passed Grabo with about, what was it one or two to go i think it um you know that was my first night doing the pit reporter thing at eagle so i was just kind of on cloud nine just watching it so i couldn't tell you how many there are to go but i sure remember that pass yeah it, it was a hell of a race and i think it'll be like that every night if they run there weekly um going back to what you said about the advancements of the, the car and how far they've came um Sport mods, I feel like, in the last three or four years are about as fast as modifieds were about three to four years ago. You know, everything just keeps getting faster and faster and faster. Everybody's figuring out more and more and more. Um, modifieds are just getting closer to late model rear ends. I mean, the whole the whole rear end setup in those is pretty much like setting up a mod- or a late model. Um, you know, ours are still stuck with the three-link pan hard bar and stuff. Uh, there's a lot of stuff you can play with, but you pretty much you're, you are still limited where a modified i mean the whole setup is just wide open and a lot more complicated and a lot more expensive because you chew up those tires a lot faster with all the plastic they who should be putting them unfortunately yeah sometimes that's just the way she goes yeah so the last the last five years they probably keep putting more plastic in them if i'd assume because they just get cheaper and cheaper <laughs> So if you were to, I mean, we've talked about A-mods, we've talked about sprint cars, and we've talked a little bit about late models kind of in this. If you were to, say, go through the 2021 season and decide that it would be time to jump up into something, what do you think you'd jump into and why? Um, I've really wanted to jump into a sprint car. Um, my family doesn't like that idea. A lot of people don't like that idea just because they're fast. They, you know, they, they roll a lot. They're when the wrecks happen, the wrecks are usually pretty bad. But personally, um, I like to be in something that scares me. Uh, and the sport mod really just, it's not doing it. I mean, it did at first a couple times, but, you know, I just, 
I like to be in something that makes me nervous. And, you know, when you're getting starting to get comfortable, you, you start wanting more and more. And um, then again, I don't think a late model would be too bad either. Um, I feel like it'd be expensive, but they they pay pretty good in the Supers. But obviously not everybody can afford to travel state to state and race all the big shows and the big money. That's definitely something impressive with you and your brother, you know, being such a low-budget, family-oriented. I know you guys kind of have your separate operations, but I always feel like it kind of comes back to a family, home-based team. So, you know, you guys kind of do your own thing, and to spend the money to keep them going up and down the road, that's definitely something pretty admirable because there are a lot of people that just stick to one track and don't venture out. What do you think how much do you think that it helps you to be able to roll into other different racetracks and where does it kind of boil back to your home track? Um, honestly, I think it's one of the biggest things you got to do is you got to make yourself go to other tracks. Cause that's the time you get a test. You know, if you're running for points at one track, you don't want to do something that's going to end up failing you. So you go to other tracks, you try some stuff. And not only that, you, you figure out how you can push the limits a little more and, figure out what that car does when you do certain things to it um like i said other tracks usually it's it's a lot of testing you know on your driving and car adjustments and you know what do tires do when after a couple of heat cycles what are your temps at when you come back in for your tires you know how much are they expanding you know you got to take all that into account um especially once you start moving up you know past sport mod like when you get into the sprint cars tire heat is huge not only that, uh, fuel consumption, um, that plays a big role in sprint cars. Like just having that gallon or two of fuel too less can make you lose the race from not finishing. Having a gallon too much, you know, your car might come on too late. So I've always found out that with my sport mod, you pretty much just run it with the full tank, keep that ass end as heavy as you can. Um, but I only got a 10-gallon cell in there, so... <laughs> 10 gallons, that'll get it done on a third mile track, absolutely, and, you know, that's that's kind of another technological thing that you get into. I mean, there's a lot of people, and it surprises the hell out of me, that come up 10 or 20 pounds light. It's like, why wouldn't you have just thrown that extra gallon of fuel at it to make sure? I'm oh, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I put on about 30 pounds on myself because uh, when I first scaled that car, and I went across the scales at Eagle after making it for the first time. I scaled in at like 2503 or 2505, and the weight limit's 2500. So uh, I started to put on some more weight because I didn't really want to add any weight to the car because the car was already set up fine. I just needed, you know, more weight on myself because the driver before me weighed a little, a little bit, bit more. He, a little bit more. He, yeah, he weighed a, li weighed a little bit more. So. Had to put on some weight, put on a little more than expected, but uh, she's getting the job done. Have a bunch of bite. I mean, cheeseburgers taste good. That's that's just the way that you got to go. Man's yep. got to eat. Pretty much. Got to eat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Stefan, I want to thank you for coming over today and spending a little bit of time just BSing and having a good time. If you're looking for a low-budget crew to sponsor and help out, look no further than Stefan Oaks in the 17 Sport Mod. One of the low-budget guys out there making big things happen in his first year. Definitely wishing you the best of luck in 2021, Stefan. Once again, thank you so much for coming over, and thanks to everybody for tuning in today. Yeah, thank thank you, James, for having me on here. You know, thanks everybody that helps me. Um, and as far as sponsor goes, anything helps. I'm willing to put you car on my car for practically any kind of sort of help comes. 
So thank it, you. It's not always about dollar figures. Sometimes it's about tires, Any anything that really helps these guys roll up and down the road. If you want to sponsor the guys some koozies to help them out, you know, anything's appreciated with these low-budget teams because in racing – Everything ends up going back into the car. There's no driver aspect. There's no none of that. If you sell T-shirts and it costs that driver $15 to make them and he sells them for 20 you can bet that each one of those $5 bills is going straight back into that race car. Once again, thank you, everybody, for tuning in tonight. We'll be back again next Monday with a fresh new episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to Roland Race News. <laughs>